welcome to the Chief Wellbeing Officer podcast. I'm Stephen McGregor. This is episode 46, Experience with Els van der Helm. So this is the first time I'm recording the introduction in the, in the studio, in my home office, after the last couple of introductions on my bike and at the top of the mountain overlooking Barcelona. I really enjoyed my conversation with Els. She's a sleep expert. We talk about her journey through well-being with a focus on sleep from being an academic She's a PhD in psychology from Berkeley, focusing on sleep research. Uh, she wrote many leading papers at the very outset of her interest uh, in sleep and then moved into consulting and then subsequently into a, a VC-backed startup. And now she's looking at uh, continuing that great work with clients and looking at the general experience of well-being with a focus on sleep. I think there's a lot of great insights in this interview and in many ways it links with a lot of the points that are coming up in the first couple of episodes of this spring summer season of Chief Wellbeing Officer. Um, if I think back to my conversations with Stephen DeSalves in episode 44 and James Hewitt in episode 45, you know that term of experience can be that we're using for the episode here with Els can be used uh, also in association with some of these previous conversations. You know I think well-being, of course, we have to look at the science, we have to look at the expertise and the specialism and, and look at technology, um, but then we have to make that fit for ourselves in our own specific context and our own life journey and our own experience. Um, so I think this is a great balance on looking at these different factors in this conversation with Els. I think there's a lot of great um, tips also on uh, approaching um, sleep as a, a keystone habit in our lives and one of those things that if we get right we really will make our well-being um, improve significantly. Um, you know it's great to be back with the, the podcast and, and of course the new vodcast version. I had this in my mind for a couple of years and uh, I think I was just too lazy to, to fix my hair and, and take it to video and then I thought no it's about time um, let's try and put this uh, into a video. And it's also giving me the opportunity to experiment with recording in different locations. And I think that's always been something in my mind. I think there's a lot of, um, you know, people doing great work recently in terms of looking at, at film and, and location recording and, and, you know, making the most of all the great technology that we have. So, you know, even on that last episode with James and my GoPro, which was fixed to my chest and experimenting and very much out of puff, cycling up the hill uh, over Barcelona and trying to record an intro. But, you know, I'm getting there. And I think it's, it's that approach that I've always taken to this podcast, started it in November 2017, of just getting prototypes out there. Um, I try and make it as high quality as I, as I can but very much have a bias towards experimentation and seeing what can work. So uh, I'll continue to do that over the coming episodes. Um, stick with me. I hope you're getting some value from it. And before moving on to, to the main conversation with Els, I just wanted to kind of backtrack also on a catch-up about what's going on. This is the way that we always approached episodes in the last uh, couple of years, it was I was just you know updating on things that are going on in my own life, and it has been six months since uh, the last episode before we got going again with this vodcast version, 
um, with the spring-summer season. Um, and if I think back, the last episode before getting going again now was, was just before Christmas, and it was launching the book, my new book, The Daily Reset. So, of course, a lot of my focus in the first half of 2022 has been on uh, raising awareness around my book, different book events, and that's been going great. But I think I'd, I'd, I'm still keen to get more face-to-face action. A lot of that has been virtual. And now, thankfully, finally, there's real signs of getting on the road again. I've got some long-haul trips coming up. I've already been travelling around Europe in the last couple of weeks. And long may that continue, just getting face-to-face with people. I'm in the classroom again tomorrow in the local business school um, with, with a, an executive programme and um, and looking forward to just engaging with people again on a more regular basis. But if I link my experience of the first six months of 2022 to my own well-being, it really has been focused on two specific um experiences with the war in Ukraine. Um, if we are connected on social media, maybe you've seen news of this. If, if you haven't, I, I, I've written a couple of blog pieces on the new um, Daily Reset website, which is dailyreset.me. Um, and the first one came really out of the blue. And, and I was a good friend of mine, co-author on Chief Wellbeing Officer Rory Simpson, um, who sent me a WhatsApp one day in March. And he just asked if if I wanted to drive to Ukraine with him. And it was one of those things that I don't remember making a conscious decision, but I, I it was as if I was in a kind of a trance. And I just remember then being at his home, talking face to face, 10 minutes after the WhatsApp message. I was nearby on the bike at the time. And less than 24 hours later, we're on the road. He's in his car. I'm in my car with, packed with supplies. And we drive that day to Prague. We get into Prague at 5 a.m. The next day we go to Poland and, uh, and you know, we, 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 we saw lots of humbling sights and evidence of the conflict and, and the end result, which I'm very grateful for, uh, is that we came back for, with a measurably more precious cargo in the shape of a family who were fleeing and uh, a mother and her four kids that we brought back to Barcelona. And look, if I think about my well-being, I didn't sleep at all that week. I didn't move much. I was driving maybe 40 hours. Um, but in terms of one of the most special experiences of my life, that I was really connected to something, I think, that was bigger than me and, and, and feeling that it was meaningful, then then that was it. And it's a week that I'll never forget. Um, and then subsequently, a, a few weeks later, and this was the, the part two, um, I was connected via this experience to an NGO in Germany uh, who were organising different lighthouse events um, around Europe and, and they asked if I could organise a lighthouse event in, in Barcelona in 10 days. They wanted to do it on May the 8th, the significance of that date with the end of the Second World War. And I thought, no chance. I'll, out of courtesy, attend the call and then I'll try and pass it on to someone else who is better prepared, better qualified, has the contacts. And again, like the WhatsApp from Rory and the fact that we just took one step at a time and we went to Poland, things happened. Uh, And again, another very special week, in this case, 10 days um, 
we organised a, a very successful event offering practical advice for families in Barcelona, um, putting them in touch with other people who could be of help, looking at real specific pain points in their own experience uh, in terms of language, in terms of schooling, in terms of finding a job, in terms of lifting themselves up, right? They don't need second-hand pairs of jeans. Um, they, they need access to, to information and, 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 and powerful networking and, and, and they'll make it work themselves. So again, another humbling experience. I was just so grateful that I could make a difference. And, uh, and these two experiences have been the highlight of my year without question. Uh, and I felt that I really connected with, with my own well-being. But it's always multidimensional, right? I mean, if you think of the intensity, and, and, and these were very intense experiences, Coming off of that and getting back to normal life, in both instances, I dropped everything in my life. My personal life, my family, um, my work commitments, everything was dropped. And 110% was focused on these two things during this period of time. And that's not feasible on an ongoing basis. I can only imagine people who do this every day, every day of their lives, and the energy that that takes it is very rewarding, but also takes a lot as well. So then coming back into normal life and transitioning isn't easy, right? And then making sure that these small habits of well-being, sleep, for example, as we're going to talk about with Els, um, other aspects, you know, James talked a lot about those aspects in episode 45. And also, uh, you know, with talking with Stephen in, in the first episode of this season, spring-summer, and a lot of his work in not knowing, we don't always know the steps ahead. But I think if we are brave enough, but also humble enough to recognise that maybe we don't see the way forward, we don't necessarily have the answer, but we, we take the step and we look for people to help, then they will be there and you will be helped and you will be empowered and you'll be lifted up and you'll be taken on your way. And that's what I've learned. I've learned so much from these experiences. If you want to learn a little bit more about what happened, then there's these two articles on the blog of dailyreset.me that you can check out some of the details. And just a final note, this isn't over. The conflict in Ukraine, it isn't over. You know, there's less awareness, there's less leadership lessons from Zelensky, you know, and, and clickbait articles on socials, there's less news coverage. People are going back, but it is not over. People still need to be helped. And, and we can all help in different ways. It could be keeping the awareness raising strong. It could be, you know, doing something that, that helps materially. It could be donating to an NGO. It could be whatever you think is is useful and, 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 and will help. And of course, the rebuilding that has to be done to this country. Um, so this has been an experience for us all in primarily you know, Western European society in terms of values I think that we felt were being infringed and, 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 and the pushback has been impressive but it's not over, it isn't finished, it's over a hundred days down the line, uh, the intensity is less in terms of the news um, but much help and much work is still required. So I just wanted to take the time and, and talk through that, um, yeah. It was, you know, a really special couple of experiences and, and, and I've learned so much. 
Very grateful for coming back with Chief Wellbeing Officer. Thanks to Els for this fantastic conversation. Thanks to you for tuning in. And that's the first three in this spring-summer season. We've got three more to go with great guests. And I'll see you next time. Enjoy this conversation and keep well. Until next time, bye-bye. Ciao. So, hello, Els. Welcome to the Chief Wellbeing Officer podcast. Where are you in the world today? What are you working on? I am in Luzerne, Switzerland, and uh, I'm actually working on a program design for one of our upcoming sleep months at one of our clients. And uh, I just came back from a high-intensity interval class, uh, hence the wet hair coming out of the shower. Awesome. Well, how, how have you been the last couple of years? Because, uh, you know, working and well-being as we both do, of course, but the pandemic has severely put to the test, I'm, you know, I'm sure, certainly for me, and I, I'm, I'm guessing for yourself and your own well-being. So in terms of your own journey the last couple of years, how, how has that looked personally, most of all? I think the personal side I'm most interested in. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Um, it's been a very interesting and challenging uh, two-year well-being perspective. So I actually gave birth to my second child uh, right at the start of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was end of March 2020. Um, the good thing, I think, was actually that because I was on maternity leave, um, you know, I had a bit more distance from everything. Um, of course, it was, you know, it is really stressful, I don't know, bringing a child into this world world that just seems to have gone crazy um you know in just a couple of weeks prior um so everything just kind of seemed upside down but i think just made it super you know at least for me personally crystal clear uh what's important and what's not um and for me you know what's important is health family and friends um and you know work and even though i love work um it definitely comes second so i think that was almost a benefit uh, for me to right at the start have this distance from work and have all this time to kind of think about what was going on Um, so I think that that was good Um, but of course that was just the start (laughs) and I think you know as many many uh, probably listening uh, working from home suddenly became the norm and that really meant reorganizing my my day. Um, I would always bike uh, to work. This was still when I lived in Amsterdam, so I'd have a 30-minute commute there and back. So just an automatic 60-minute workout every day. And in the beginning, I just didn't really give that that much thought. And then I realized, shoot, I, you know, I need to get this somewhere else. And I will just need to do this um, in my day, um, instead of having this, you know, clear idea of, oh, this is my work time, this is my personal time, I really felt like, okay, this is the time to build in exercise during the day. Um, and, And to have many more of these kind of deliberate things that you do in a day. So to me, it really felt like, well, being actually demanded much more attention um, and focus and reflection and kind of constant adjustment, if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And congratulations um, on, <laughs> Thank you. on Thank your you. second child. Um, 
you know, in a way, I'm sure you were worried about the, the health, potential health impact, especially at the very beginning. There were so many uncertainties. But at the same time, I guess there was that space that, yes. and that seclusion in a way and, that, and, and, and being in a bubble, perhaps. Exactly. It felt safe in, 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 in some respect. But I, I think also what you're talking about in the last episode with James Hewitt, he shared some some similar reflections in, in the fact that we test the robustness of our own messages and well-being in terms of finding mm-hmm. new rituals and new routines. And I guess that's the credibility of what we're trying to do and trying to you know change other people. That we have yes. to it has to work with ourselves. <laughs> and absolutely our own well-being was tested, right, in the last yeah. in the last couple of years. But I'm fascinated with your with your background and, and let's say your entry point into well-being. That's also also something that I'm very interested in with different people who have a career in well-being in terms of their entry point. And and I, you know, mm-hmm. we have common entry points that maybe people had a corporate career and then they suffered some sort of burnout or some epiphany and then they then try and and, and communicate the error of their ways and things like that. But your own entry point is very much as a, as a specialist. You're a PhD, you're a Fulbright scholar, PhD in psychology uh, from Berkeley uh, with a focus on sleep research. So how did that work for you uh, with this high level expertise and specialism moving into a career in well-being? And how, and how has that gone over the past several years? Yeah, um, it is indeed, I think, very interesting to see what different backgrounds people have in a well-being. And I'm not the example of, you know, I was in the corporate world and something went wrong and now, you know, I've changed my ways. Um, for me, it's almost quite the opposite where from the moment I read a book about sleep when I was 16, I just got completely into this topic and drawn into it. And then, you know, spent 11 years in academia focusing on psychology, neuroscience of the brain and behavior change. So super, super, you know, focused on that. But then I made a complete shift and I thought I would leave, you know, everything behind um, as I joined uh, the business world, uh, joined McKinsey as a consultant um, and really a generalist. You know, it had nothing to do with my background. And that really gave me the opportunity to see, you know, what is life out there for so many other people who are not in academia, you know, kind of just writing and reading and teaching away, um, but in a very different environment. And a lot of things then, you know, at some point really started to click for me that obviously, you know, sleep wasn't a part of anything that they were doing uh, or being taught. Um, And I also learned that actually there is a lot of support in the business world on your development, uh, leadership development, you know, time management skills, stress management skills. And never ever did I see the word sleep come up in any of those trainings. Um, so for me, that was really eye-opening. And I think that, you know, it took a while. At first I was like, oh, I don't want to be some kind of sleep guru. You know, I want to do this business world thing and I want to become a really, really good consultant, blah, blah, blah. Um, But then at some point I really realized, well, you know, these business problems are interesting, but 
my passion is still really sleep. But I, I thought back of my time in academia and started to really miss, you know, that topic in my in my new world. And at the same time, I realized that whenever I was speaking to my clients or my teams, that sleep was such a popular topic. If someone, you know, somehow learned about my background, then the entire evening we would be talking about sleep and I would be answering questions. Um, so that really, for me, was uh, was kind of this interesting thing, being in these these very different worlds, and then seeing suddenly seeing how actually you could combine these two and have, you know, a sweet spot. Um, so that's then what I did, um, and that's now been yeah six years ago, um, leaving McKinsey and really focusing on this. And I think you know when you think about being a generalist or being more of a specialist. To me, it's really important that when you are a specialist, you do branch out in the different topic. And that's really lucky with sleep in that it touches on so many different other topics, right? Within the well-being space about exercise, nutrition, mindfulness, meditation, stress management, time management, all of that. But also really the business world, thinking about how sleep relates to leadership and being able you know, to kind of use this McKinsey background on, on transformational change, how are you going to do this within an organization? Um, and then I guess finally, just having had this, this, these different experiences of being in academia, being in this really intense you know, management consulting life, then being in a really intense startup space, and now actually being in a different, you know, more consultancy space. Um, yeah, it's been really, I think, good because indeed you get to test it on yourself. Um, how do I respond to things and what works for me? What do I see happening around me? Yeah, no, really interesting. Thanks for sharing those insights. It reminds me of my conversation with Stephen DeSalza um, a couple of episodes ago, um, also very much focused on on well leadership development in his case but the importance of being t-shaped and profile right that mm -hmm. you're, you're going for rigor and expertise but you know you're looking for that breadth as well and, and and i see something with sleep is that i'm sure you've exploited to a great extent your your expertise in sleep and, and especially things like you know understanding the workings of the brain but then how that applies on a practical level for people in business, right? You know, in yeah. terms of how they change their behavior. And obviously, in terms of habits, you know, sleep is one of these keystone habits for all of us that if we can make it work, many other things in our life fall into yeah. place, right? And we're good. <laughs> and then that links to the next question, which is, <laughs> why don't we change? Haven't we learned as a society to legitimize sleep more? Is it going to be in a hundred years time, we're still going to be uh, sleep deprived and still, you know, are we hardwired not to legitimize it? What, what do you see from, from your viewpoint and being focused on this? Are we changing? Is it just very slow or what do we need to, to get moving <laughs> a, a bit more, right? Um, I think both. So I think things are changing. I think I've definitely seen, uh, you know, now having been in the space, I guess, for like 17 years or 20 years even, um, that a lot has changed. So when I started in this topic, it was like sleep, what? Okay, you know, you in academia with your niche stuff, uh, <laughs> who cares? Um, where that has 
really changed over time. And I feel like it's kind of, you know, a, a later wave. Maybe it started with our focus on uh, exercise and then more of a focus on healthy nutrition. And somehow the focus on mindfulness, I think, even came before sleep, even though I, I would have predicted that differently. Um, but now I feel it's really the time for sleep. So we're catching up in that kind of wider sense of attention uh, and awareness. However, this still unfortunately <laughs> comes down to behavior change. And behavior change is what human beings <laughs> are not very good at. Um, and what I really see happening is that what you need to kind of get there is, you know, a why, a what, and a how. Um, so I, I feel like people first really need to buy into the why, you know, what's your motivation to change here? And the interesting thing with sleep is that very different hooks, um, you know, kind of hook, you know, different people. Um, so for one person, it might be that they realize that, you know, chronic sleep is linked to an increased chance of Alzheimer's disease. And that's somehow really relevant for them because maybe that, you know, plays in their family or it's kind of a fear that they have. Um, whereas for another person, it might just be about weight loss. You know, I want to lose weight and I'm all these things and, oh, wait, I can do this through sleep. Great, then let me try that. Um, and yet for another person, it can be, you know, fully about work. Oh, I really want to, you know, be able to focus better. So first we really need this why, and it really needs to mean something to you, not the, oh yeah, it's better for me, <laughs> right? You really need to be able to, I think, like, imagine what this new you is going to be like with good sleep. Then it's very much about personalizing it. You know, you can find a million different sleep tips out there, but I think the question is really, what should you be starting with? Um, there's no point in trying, you know, 10 different things at once, but which one should you then pick? And, you know, what, how should you actually formulate that and go about it? And I think that kind of gets to the how in, you know, something different between knowing what to do and then actually doing it. And I think that is not actually, you know, unique to sleep at all. That's, you know, kind of there for all the other different topics. Um, and there, of course, we really just need to use, you know, what we've learned in science on how people can actually effectively <laughs> change their behavior, whether it is about, you know, taking micro steps instead of really lofty, ambitious goals or, you know, acting on other habits in your life. Um, so I feel like that's, it's, you know, it's getting better. <laughs> the general awareness is definitely my sense. However, we still have all these you know, these next roadblocks, great that there's more awareness, but that we still need to do a lot ourselves um, to actually get to that finish line of, of sleeping better. And then, it, you know, and even then it's kind of this continuous <laughs> challenge throughout your life, whether, yeah. you know, it's having kids or going through menopause or just having more stress at work or, you know, becoming older, all of yeah, those things. Absolutely. And, and, and sleep is one of those examples as any area of well-being what works today, there's no guarantee that that's going to work tomorrow because our life journeys, you know, it changes every single time. So it's always in play, right? Yeah. You know, I think we both have an interest in, in scaling impact and, and, and bringing that message out um, 
and that was some great advice and, and, and bringing that, that that message out to as many people as possible. And one of those things that we, one of the ways that we can do that is, is through technology, of course. And you've been involved over the last few years in, in a startup, um, Sleep, um, in, in that regard. Can, can you tell us a little bit about that journey, um, what you learned the last few years? Um, and, and, you know, would you, if you were starting again tomorrow, would, would you do anything differently? <laughs> yeah, great questions. Uh, so indeed, my uh, tech startup was focused on um, creating a digital sleep coaching app for corporates. And I had what I think now is actually a wrong assumption, um, which is that, you know, scaling your impact is about technology, you know, building software, um, where looking back, I think where we were actually very successful was not through technology, but through other means. So I think it's really important to not conflate, oh, I want it to be scalable or I want to have a really big impact with, oh, hence I need to build some kind of complicated software um, to do this. Um, so what I would do differently is I think what I'm doing right now, which is uh, knowing that scaling um, is not about building technology, but instead it's about you know, focusing on creating experiences that I know people will help them. Um, and I think what I also see is kind of this app fatigue where people kind of feel like, oh God, not another app that's supposed to help me you know, do X, Y, or Z. Instead, I see that people want to go through a journey, but it should really be experiential. It should be with their colleagues or other people. Um, it should be customized to them specifically. And I think what I've really come to see, preferably it has a start and an end. Um, where I think, you know, with Schleep, we really have this, this idea of, oh, we're always going to be there for you um, because of what we just said, right? Like sleep is actually an ever everlasting challenge. Um, but that's not how behavior change, you know, works. I think that is actually a bit more about sprints. You know, this sprint, I'm going to focus on this. And then another sprint, I'm going to focus on something else. Um, so those have been, yeah, really important learning. So now we work much more with bringing people together, whether it's in person or whether it's digitally, uh, bringing them together with a sleep expert and having you know, a dynamic conversation or dynamic webinars, chats, polls, and a whole journey with, okay, this is what we want you to do in between, or this is what you can try, and this is how we'll support you and, and motivate you. But here's also the finish line, you know, at the end yeah. of the week or the end of the month, <laughs> you, you know, you build one new habit and you know what, that's, that's enough for now. You can do more after, but let's take baby steps here. For sure. um, so, yeah, I think that those are definitely some of my, you know, reflections uh, there. Some great insights there. And, and I can see that, yeah, you absolutely leverage that experience in, in what you're doing now. And it reminds me of some of the comments from James Hewitt um, in, in the previous episode where, you know, what is the approach to technology where we, 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 we make well-being better rather than it being a detriment to our well-being? Because obviously a lot of issues around mental health is because of, you know, app fatigue or just always being on. So how can yeah. we have that human dimension and technology is enabling, but we still have that richness of, of human involvement? And, and even going back to previous um, 
many years ago, actually, with some of the research that was going on here with Telefonica in Spain about some of the recommendations that can come out of technology and apps, which some of the recommendations actually at the end of the day saying, turn me off, right? You know, and, and a lot of big tech over yes. the kind of at least the first wave of big tech kind of um, growth has been about always on, you know, maximizing contact, um, screen time and, and, and time on feed and all these different things. Whereas, you know, a lot of things you're saying there, it's like, no, we can have our time, we can be enabled through technology, but now let's just absolutely switch off. And with sleep mm-hmm. more than anything, we, we need that, right? You yeah. know, getting on to kind of well-being and, and, and some of the, the, the rationale for, for this show is about elevating well-being as a more strategic concern and not just something that is on the margins, something that is strategic, you can measure, it's going to generate value, it's going to lead to a more fulfilling life. How, how, have you, how do you see this now in terms of your own conversations with clients, organizations mm-hmm. the past few years? Are we getting there? Are we maturing? Is it getting beyond programs and, you know, free fruit on a Friday and all the rest of it? Are we going yeah. in the right direction, Els? What do you think? Um, yes, but maybe not fast enough in my mind. Uh, I mean, if I think back, of, you know, six years ago, I started and I kind of had this idea of, yeah, I want us to do something with sleep and corporates, but it wasn't really happening. So I wasn't even quite sure like what that would look like, but I had this dream of, well, this should be important. You know, it should be a sea level um, uh, topic. Um, so um, with my uh, former McKinsey uh, colleague, Professor Nick Van Damme, we wrote an article and got published in the Harvard Business Review that was all about why is this important for organizations? You know, why, why should really sea level execs care about this topic as opposed to saying oh well you know HR will take care of that or something and then I saw some kind of glimmers of hope um, so one of the very first clients I worked with was Facebook and of course they were like miles ahead of everybody else but that you know it was my first client so I was thinking oh my god you know the world is ready where this is this is going where I wanted to go but I think six years later it's definitely a bit like okay I would have drawn that curve you know a lot faster and I think you just see that for different organizations these things just happen at very you know very different speeds but I should say that I feel like the conversation has really changed um actually thanks to corona you know maybe one one tiny little benefit there in that pre-corona um, with business leaders, we always had to focus on how is this going to improve, you know, the bottom line of the organization. So link it back to productivity and performance. And, you know, that's easy to do with state, no problem. But then at the same time, all of our conversations within HR were actually often about well-being and about mental health. There was always this disconnect between what the business leaders were thinking about and how HR was seeing these things. And I feel like that has really changed since Corona, where suddenly every business leader in the world was, you know, forced to think about their own health and safety, about that of their um, their entire workforce, of course, of their loved ones. So suddenly, health became such a personal and big and urgent, <laughs> scary almost uh, topic that um, it was such a yeah a major shift that suddenly 
actually also business leaders were talking about well-being and about mental health and the importance. And even with, you know, hopefully, you know, the pandemic, you know, kind of being maybe towards its end, who knows? But now at the same time, this really tight uh, labor market, I think that has really accelerated us. I think without those two big forces, we would have maybe been in this spot, you know, I don't know, five or, or eight years from now. So I think it has really, has really shifted. And what I also see as kind of a sign, I guess, of that, the times are changing a bit, is that there's much more demand for the topic of sleep in, uh, and of course, also just generally well-being um, in leadership programs. It's now really kind of, I don't know, I think standard that, yeah. Of course, you know, leaders need, of course, leaders need to first be able to take care of themselves and then learn how they can kind of role model that and support the rest of the organization in that sense. Um, so I think that's, yeah, that's really, I think, a sign that it is indeed changing. Maybe, you know, maybe we're not in 2022 where I would have hoped we were six years ago, but um, it's getting there. Absolutely. What I'm seeing in those comments else is that we have an opportunity now also in order to make the most of that opportunity if there was one message more than anything to to kind of go ahead and whatever you want to call it reset redesign the system uh, what would be that message to to people is it just sleeping more or legitimize sleep or is there something broader there that you would like to transmit what, what would be that one thing Right. Well, what I'm thinking about a lot lately is kind of this unique opportunity right now with, you know, people either working from home completely or hybrid working, um, how now is kind of the time to, you know, and, and we've done this now for a while. It's not like we started last week. Um, so now is the time to figure out how are we really going to make the best of this hybrid working situation? Um and we just actually did a, a big study on this um, with over uh, 500 um, participants. And what was clear kind of from the data there was, wasn't exactly what I was, what I was expecting. Um, so we looked at people who were working from home 100% in the office 100% in those hybrid workers. And it wasn't as if, you know, working from home necessarily meant like less stress or really much better sleep or anything like that. So it's clear that whatever your situation is, you'll still have challenges. And this wasn't, you know, kind of the big thing uh, for us to do. But what was also clear is that organizations weren't, weren't yet kind of, you know, taking advantage of the learnings though. So what do people do well when they work from home, right? So there's and there's, there's kind of disadvantages of being at home or in the office or hybrid working. Um, and those really came out quite clearly. And what we saw is that even though there's, you know, office haters and office lovers, that everybody does want to come together, right? And at least, a, you know, a couple of times um, a year and for that to be super meaningful. Um, and we also really saw that when people work from home, they are indeed better at certain things, such as getting more me time, getting more exercise, um, more focused work time, but also they really enjoy the social aspect of going to the office. And 
Yeah, I think what I'm getting from that is about how we can be more intentional in a way with with how we spend our time. And it, it comes back to some of your previous comments on, on, on experience, right? It was our kind of unique experience of how we live our days and, yes. and making sure that we have well-being as one of the primary concerns each and every day, right? Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah, um, just to close, Els, and, and, and great to talk to you today. Um, as I've been finishing with the other interviews, if, if you could share a special song from your life and or career, please, and, and why is that special? <laughs> I find this such an original question. Um, so um, you're maybe half, but my song is um, the song Play Hard by David Guetta, actually featuring Neo and Akon. Um, <laughs> And there's kind of a second song to this as well. But um, how it came about is that my very first sleep workshop when um, I still worked as a consultant, I, I just gave it for my colleagues, you know, back in the Amsterdam office. And of course, it was really, you know, scary. I had only been there for three months, you know, full with imposter syndrome, etc. So I really wanted to bring in some humor into the workshop because, you know, yes, this job is tough and many of you are sleep deprived, but I'm going to help you. Um, but let's also laugh a bit at ourselves in the process. Um, so my opening slides were all about, you know, how I wanted them to have this new life uh, motto of work hard, play hard, and sleep hard. So yeah. then I was showing these, these memes first around like work hard, then around play hard. And then it suddenly switched um, the song to sitting on the dock of the bay by Otis Redding to, you know, relaxation and sleeping and, you know, just kind of thinking, oh, whatever, you know, I'm just going to like turn my phone off and, and like leave everybody um, behind. Um, so I think that was, you know, that's, it's still a bit, you know, my motto, like, great if you want to work hard and play hard, but, you know, you got to relax and sleep hard as well. Absolutely. Hey, thanks for sharing that, Els. Great to talk to you today <laughs> and looking forward to many more conversations. All the best. Me too. Thank you for having me. Just mop it, show these gangsters how you pop lock it. Don't care what you got in your pocket. I beat the way that you rockin' with that thing, thing, girl, stop it. Wanna just bang, bang and pop it while the club crowd are just watching. Work it out. Got a gang of cash and it's going all on the ball. Now work it out. And it's going fast, cause I feel like a superstar.